So let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word, even in passages that show the presence of sin in the church all the way back to the time of the apostles, Lord. We know that your grace is greater than everything we can do wrong. We trust that we'd learn not to do it wrong. In your son's name, amen. We're in Corinthians 5, and it's, you've read the passage, I'm sure. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and of a kind that is not found even among pagans. For a man is living with his father's wife. Are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as of present, I have already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done such a thing. When you are assembled and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's one of those examples in the scriptures of excommunication, suggested by Paul. The sin was sexual. He was living sexually with his stepmother, it seems like, because of the way it refers to his father's wife. And we're pretty clear that we go, hubbards. But it's, it's telling you that in the church, in Corinth, among you, there is somebody who is doing this, being in this situation. And then he says, and you are arrogant. Now, that is the weird thing. That's the weird thing. How do I process their arrogance? We know we've all sinned. And we know we've all sinned in some cases, horrifically. And God has been wonderfully merciful. And this whole thing, I love the way it ends there, that his spirit may be saved. It's not delivering him to Satan so that he would be damned eternally, so that he wouldn't. But I was thinking about the arrogance. A lot of people have, we were on, I think on the front porch, sometime this week, talking about these sorts of things. And, and Christians always have this, um, in the modern age, uh, there's a big PR blitz going to try to lower the church's standards about certain moral uh, immoralities. And we know how, as we uh, do our apologetics against the world, we talk about the marriage of homosexuals, and then we go, um, next it's going to be pedophiles. But we, we don't stop to realize that we're marrying homosexuals because we didn't mind our young people moving in together at college back in the 70s. Everyone knew uh, that we have a certain degree of arrogance about something. And what, what it was interesting to me is, that, and I want to go back in the passage that's not, this is at the beginning of uh, Corinthians 5, at the end of Corinthians 4, 
It's over on the left-hand side. Corinthians 4.14. Listen to what Paul says. I do not write this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Therefore, I sent to you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. And it says this, Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? So that was right. The next verse is the one we just read in First uh, Corinthians 5, 1. It is actually reported. And he talks again of the errors. You are arrogant. It seems to me that Paul has laid out, at least going into this passage, has laid out a position he claims is the one of power versus the one of talk regarding the morality of the church. There are all sorts of churches that have high moral standards on paper. Whether they're seminaries or Christian colleges or churches, they have high moral standards on paper. And it's not, not going to be for another lifetime before they actually go back and change their church book of constitution or church order or whatever it is to reflect their more liberal propensities now. But the arrogance here I want you to look at, some are arrogant. Arrogant people, it's not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Now I said at the beginning, at the top of the left-hand column, uh, this is not Paul, I'm sure that you have a better idea than that of St. Paul as to what power is in the church. People see the church as a position of power. It's a place that matters to people. It's a place their whole sense of eternal worth, value, morality, etc. is rooted, whatever church, whatever denomination. And a lot of people use it. And a lot of people like maintaining the institutional power of the church. But on the most basic of things, like morality... Paul lays out that when he is comparing the power in him versus the arrogance in them, his power is in a, remind them of, remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul's saying it's his lifestyle and his teaching of his lifestyle. versus those who have their own version. I think I've shared before years ago, back when we were in the, in the uh, log cabin, the American Legion log cabin, so it's got to be 12 years ago, 13 years ago, a woman, a visiting mother, uh, who I knew reasonably well. Uh, I was teaching out of Paul, nothing, nothing controversial, just you know, regular Paul. And she felt she had to come up after the service and tell me how much she kind of disapproved of Paul. So I, asked, I looked at her and said, I mean, 
here's St. Paul, and here's you. Here's St. Paul, and here's you. And who are you? Who are you? Because as soon as I say, not Paul's ways, not imitators of St. Paul, you, you know you live in a Christianity, an evangelical Christianity, that is rooted in Pauline theology. More than Johannine or more than Petrine, it is Pauline. He's come down through the centuries as the guide to the thinking and lives of the believers. You would have to be arrogant to think that your way of writing a narrative out for what would be good and okay for Christians to do and differ with the apostle on this matter, you'd have to be arrogant. And Paul said, I'm willing to come to town. Because it really does consist in power versus talk. There are people who think they can live a life of absolute, abject, complete immorality. And in the books and in the movies, it looks like it works. But excuse me, you can have the most powerful friends in the world, have millions, if not billions of dollars in money. And if you want to do really bad things, bad things happen to you. And Jeffrey Epstein now is dead. We're not sure how. But he might have even killed himself, just like they said. But he was devoted to immorality. Devoted. And providing immorality for other people to be devoted to. And you know, and he was a good-looking guy, I think. Wealthy, good-looking, successful. Train wreck. You can talk all you want. You, if you live this way, the world collapses around your head. The karma comes back. And Paul's willing to say, if I come, I will show you whether it's power or talk. Power or arrogance. Now, that being said, verse 6 of chapter 5 on the right-hand side, your boasting is not good. Do you not, not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, leaven, antiquity, everybody's big on bread loaves that rise. I heard William talking to Andrew about bread. I guess there was bread in somewhere in your past together. And we put, we put leaven in bread so we don't have crackers. And, um, but it's a great image. We knew, the ancient world knew very much what it took and how much it took. This is why the recipes for bread go back millennia. I wonder if there's some sourdough starters that have been around for millennia, just continuing to gestate. I don't trust yeast. Okay? I want to know. That's a little powder in your fridge, and you put it in warm water, and put it in the dough, and all of a sudden it starts living. What's been doing? What's it been doing in the fridge? Why is it? Why? I'm sorry, that's not how life works. But it's supposedly women are very comfortable with it. They're very comfortable with yeast. But a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Don't you realize? And if you've ever been in a situation where you've heard in the body of Christ that there's somebody somewhere doing something awful and it's still in the body of Christ, oh, this is a big deal. Just some of the 
young people. Don't you know? And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you were, really are unleavened. For Christ, our Paschal Lamb, now he's doing to create this image of Passover where you ate unleavened bread. He's the Passover Lamb. He's saying, this church thing we're in is, think of it as the Passover feast. Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us, therefore, celebrate the festival. So for me to celebrate the festival in the power of God, what has to be the case? Not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So malice and evil, that which drives you to do bad things to others, versus sincerity and truth, which is unleavened, making the right, um, you might say, path of God setting your sins aside. The Passover of, of the angel of death passing over your household. The sincerity and truth of the Christian life in the Christian church is one of complete submission to holiness. Okay? Complete submission to holiness. And having no room that you have a way of dealing with all unholiness. Now, I want to warn you because when people start to get going on stopping sin, pretty soon there are deacons measuring your hem length at the door. Pretty soon people are being brought up on charges for disagreeing with the pastor. Because as soon as they can find it, something that in any way, by good and necessary consequence, is a violation of the will of God, they start to take action. Not just where someone is sleeping with his stepmom. We have to be ready to say, it's not that kind of holiness. It's not the kind of holiness that doesn't understand the sinfulness, but one that does. It has to be sincerely and truly. Do you understand? Do you, do you, do, are you wise as serpents? That you know what's going on. Now when he says, uh, this next part is a verse when I was trying to go to sleep with the thought of this woman killing her husband for money. This next passage is what jumped to my mind. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral men. Not at all, meaning the immoral of this world. Okay, clear that up. Not at all. I didn't mean that. I know your kids were playing with those non-Christian kids from down the street and you're concerned because you're a mom and you don't want wickedness. I didn't mean don't let them hang out with the non-Christian kids. I meant don't let them hang out with the Christian kids. Any Christian kid, any kid who names Jesus Christ, but then you would need to go out of the world if you meant the, uh, if you meant the immoral men of the world. But rather I wrote you, verse 11, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of disagreeing with the pastor more than once, no, if he's guilty of immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or robber, not even to eat with such a one. 
Now, what a lot of people do is they don't stop to actually read what they were just told to do and be. The kind of associations we make with certain sins are, are really driven by Victorian embarrassment or moms that never wanted you to even think that you had naughty bits. And so when people start flagrantly celebrating their naughty bits in parades, and, uh, and then the whole society seems to think, unless you do, you're a bad person. You say, the world's coming to an end. And the Christians start marching against Pride Month and, 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 but, and Greed Month. No, they never march against Greed Month, do they? That's 12 months a year. Or drunkards, you know. What if you did, I mean, drunkards. Remember John's Alley, our favorite bar and establishment? My daughter sings that with some regularity. The pastor attends, but it's a drinking place. And it means a serious drinking place. And I think the Christian church should make up really cool signs and picket John's Alley on Saturday night for drunkenness. Well, we'd, we'd rather not do that because I'd look kind of like Carrie Nation. I'd look kind of like uh, the Prohibition era trying to end the drinking of alcohol. We're not really actually doing what God's will is. We're not really powerful. We're making up our own little list and measuring it a certain way because the homosexuals the immoral, sexually, are where we really feel our culture war must exist. We're not fighting God's, for God's purposes of holiness. We're fighting for things we fear for our kids. You know, I don't mind if it comes up a drunk or is greedy, but my gosh, what if he was gay? You could even put up with a robber let alone a reviler. The gross sins, icky ones, you know, the Christian church is like, you know, volcano running down there, you know, hair on fire situation. The other ones, they're almost part of our, our own way of doing things. We have, in the culture war, reviling is almost a mark of godliness. Think about it. But they're bad. They're bad. We're supposed to revile them. <laughs> well, first off, uh, you were told, I didn't mean the non-Christians. I told you not to associate with the immoral, and I didn't mean the non-Christians. Because what else are they going to do? And then you'd have, to, you'd have to go to Mars. You have to leave the world. But even when we take it out on the church and watch over what our denomination, if we had a denomination, was doing and what kind of slip into liberalism our seminary was allowing our pastors to go into. Look at that list. Immorality. Greed. An idolater. You can say, well, I've never been an idolater. 
There's lack of opportunity here. No temple to Apollo down the street that I got suckered into. But the others I may have. I may have been immoral. I may have been greedy. I may have reviled. I may have been a drunk. I may have been a robber. What do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Drive out the wicked person from among you. So when the non-believer ever says, you know, judge not, I say, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't. Yeah, I probably shouldn't. I, I'll take care of those inside the church. You know, those of you who are wicked outside the church, not my business. I'm supposed to do something because the power of the kingdom of God is in the holiness that God has provided in his son, Jesus Christ. It is either by forgiveness or by the act of the Holy Spirit to make you loving and joyful, peaceful, patient, and kind, and you start to do nice things to people instead of bad things to people. You start understanding your sexuality. You start understanding the joys of food and drink. You start understanding what God wants of you, and he doesn't want you reviling and doesn't want you drunk, and you know that. But that's where we need to come in order to be Pauline. We need to say, what is the power that rested in Paul in this? Minimally in this, let alone whatever apostolic juju he had about you know, healing people and the like. Whatever that was, the power of God's work in him, the, my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. That means he wants you, because we are one of the wares, and we're one of the everys, churches, and we, we read Paul, we want to know what he's about, the godliness that he represents. He says, drive out the wicked person from among you. It's a quote from Deuteronomy. Speaking of false prophets, and they tell you to follow other gods, you drive out the wicked person from among you. Now, the indented portion there, 6.1 through 6.8, is that bit about suing your fellow Christian over some wrong. You're not supposed to take your suit before the non-believers. And I had it as a set out because it wasn't really part of the flow. It was kind of an example, kind of an example of where you don't draw the line. Okay? Because remember I warned you about people who get all into holiness? Then they're into all your holiness, and then it's all into holiness by a standard that was probably written up in Dallas. You know, that's not... It's not, it's the holiness of, of Charles Finney, not the holiness of St. Paul. Because in that section about the lawsuits, he's concerned for a couple things. One, you're taking these things before the world. And two, shouldn't there be someone smart enough, wise enough in your church to decide this? And then he says something interesting. To have lawsuits at all, verse 7, with one another is defeat for you. Well, you don't understand, Evan. He took my lawnmower. I'm going to have to sue to get it back. 
All right, St. Paul says, it's defeat for you to have it at all, but he won't give it back, Evan. Well, what, what, what St. Paul says, who is his ways in Christ, as he teaches them everywhere in every church, he says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, and that even your own brethren. Paul is willing to view the church in a situation where someone has taken your lawnmower, didn't return it in a timely fashion, and when you brought it up, they kind of got annoyed with you, and they say, well, I'm never returning it. I'm never bringing back that lawnmower. Oh, it's broken anyway. I took it to the dump. What? You took my lawnmower to the dump? Well, it was broken. I broke it. What am I going to do? But don't you think you owe me about $400? Well, no, I don't. I mean, you're a Christian, right? Give me a you know, Christian loan. And, and all of a sudden, we've got our own. We either let down our guard in the grotesque sinfulness that comes in from the world. Man's living with his stepmom in flagrante. And, but you can't let it go. You can't let the lawnmower go. Because that's just sin. Paul is saying, let them, having, let them have defrauded you. Wouldn't, isn't it bad enough that you're thinking that way? It allows you to take a complaint to the church. But sometimes we have measured out. That's all I'm encouraging you this morning. To view what the, the, the design is hoped to be. What is God's narrative about the church? Because we have our own. We've created our own. And even though we've tried this kind of as an informal, radical Anabaptist sort of, hey, no, no uh, government, no rules, no programs. Still, there's a bunch of Americanisms that are just present, that just sort of snuck in and make us do church a certain way. And yeah, I'd hope we'd be able to get step free from those things, but let's just hope that it's not sin that we're allowing. But we want to have a view of what God is trying to do in us. So that when we individually, not we corporately, we individually are the only ones capable of sinning. When we do something wrong, that we go to God for grace. That's the wonderful thing, because he says in the next verse here, verse 9, I have it all bolded to the end of the section. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you know that? That's a, that's a definitional distinction. Unrighteousness doesn't get in when we were going through Revelation in our summer study. That is very clear about the New Jerusalem. You don't get in if you're not godly. Do not be deceived. And he comes up with essentially the same list he just mentioned. Neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sexual perverts. And there's about four sexual crimes there. Uh, some translations say homosexuality. Um, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, this is not even definitionally inside. The power of God deals with that. 
You might be a difficult person to get along with. You might be bitter. Okay? You might be filled with anxiety. You might be disobeying God in all sorts of ways, but it's not on this list. And this list has no place in the church. That's why anyone who bears the name of brother, guilty of these things, you don't even sit down to eat with such a person. You can presume the kingdom of God is not present in this person. But that's not the same. That's not the same as saying, yeah, Christianity, we we only allow, you know, really decent Anglo-Saxon people in with good good families and, and good incomes. We're not LDS. We're, we're not trying to create a country club. We know perfectly well that all those people, all those people are for whom Christ died. Well, that's why it says in the red verse next, and such were some of you. <laughs> he just said, you will not inherit the kingdom of God if you're like this. And you were like that. Some of you were like that. Some of you never got let off the leash. You didn't get, end up going to state college down in wherever state college is and never joined a fraternity or sorority and lived a life of wild abandonment. You went to Awana, God help you. And you ended up with a job, you know, at a laundry, I don't know, something, something responsible, successful. You might not have been in some of those people. And I grew up with a lot of people that were not those people. I also met a lot of those people who were. And the Lord died for us all. Because my, you might say, not acceptable sins, None of it's acceptable. Some of it is not acceptable on a, on a designed step into somebody else's life reason. I will not even sit down to eat with such a one. But with someone who's defrauded me, who stole my lawnmower, I should rather be defrauded than go to law against him. I should rather, I should... I, it's, it's, it's a... Um, I should rather suffer wrong. And you've probably done that in this congregation, small congregation as it is. Let's just assume somebody said something to someone in such a way that second someone feelings were hurt. And maybe your husband, maybe your wife said to you, you know, maybe you just ought to forgive. Because if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. And you know, that person could have done it on purpose because they were just feeling mean and they wanted to hurt you. And you forgave them. And you could be forgiven because you forgave them. And life could go on. And you didn't have to take it to the elders to have them driven from the church for having been mean to you. They sinned. And God was gracious to you for giving you your bitterness. And God will be gracious to them for giving them for their meanness. And God will be gracious to the homosexual. Because this is not a passage. Just like it's not a passage that says we won't let you in. It's not a passage that says we will let you in. Embracing and rejoicing 
arrogantly as if these sins weren't sins. God is here to save us from this. For such were some of you. Because if you were immoral, idolatrous, an adulterer, a sexual pervert, a thief and a robber, greedy or a drunkard, reviler, Jesus Christ could set you free from that. We you should be able you know, turn to the, all the gays on in Great Gay Pride Month and say, the Lord can forgive you, man. The Lord can forgive you. But the end result is, this last verse is such a good one, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. All of us, with good Baptist sins, or just awful worldly sins. We're washed, sanctified, and justified because the point of the kingdom is the holiness of God. You know, God, God made the creation and he looked at it and said, and it was good. And he made man, and it was good. And that's what he'd like it to be. You're just being asked in the church to be his good creation that that he lost in us 6,000 years ago. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do, to let us be his good creation again. But good is the operative word. What is good in God's sight is a creation that serves his purposes the way he wants them served. We don't want to be those of us who are don't have the bad sins, you know, the great testimonies. Yeah. You always hear the guy, oh, I was a biker for 17 years, heroin addict. Oh, he said, oh, why can't I have been like that? Playboy. And I, I think I took the Lord's name in vain singing hymns any number of times, you know. Couldn't. You know what happens? Remember that little verse about the leaven? Little leaven leavens the whole thing? Those of us who don't have the really bad life, we're the leaven. We're that thing in the church that you don't address for holiness. You don't say, I've got to confess my bad attitude. If you don't, guess what? You will have a bad attitude in the church. Other people will have to forgive you without even being asked to forgive you. They'll just have to extend grace to you. And you will raise your children with a bad attitude. You will have a bad attitude. And they will see your Christianity, so-called, not in sincerity and truth, but in falsity and hypocrisy. They will not see it truly. They will not see the righteousness that comes from God. Because the right, remember, the righteousness that comes from God, it doesn't just make you holy, it makes you deal with your unholiness. You're unhappy until the kingdom of God's standards, holiness, comes back alive in you, either through God's grace or through your active action. If you don't, you're raising the next generation of kids with a really cool testimony. You want your kids to have a cool testimony? Well, only if they actually end up getting saved at the other end. Because those years when they were hell's angels, those years when they were addicted to heroin, 
and the three illegitimate children, um, they're tough years. And you don't know if they're going to be saved. That's what the leaven does. Leaven for ungodliness, whether you're the riotous liver or you, that needs to be put out of the church. Remember, we're not encouraging anybody to be put out of the church for bitterness. You'd have to be put out or just rejected for being unrepentantly. You, got, you know what you get, get, get from this is because such were some of you, this means repentance doesn't have you on that list anymore. You repent, you get welcomed into the body of Christ. I don't care if you were a brigand. We were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified. There is a... Uh, the desired result is with sincerity, the power of Jesus Christ, with sincerity, the life that Christ wants of us. Rejoicing, forgiving, loving, doing good, and doing good in spite of bad being done to you. In truth and sincerity. Not in malice and evil. Truth and sincerity. The end of the chapter, which I didn't have enough room on the page to keep going. He said, well, I have more passages of scripture. I, I wanted to include the last verse there of the chapter. You were not your own. Here on the left hand side. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And that was after this argument continued through, hey, all things are lawful for you, but not all things are helpful. Don't go to the prostitutes, dude. Don't live the sexually immoral life. This is, there's all sorts of ways to deal with this. One is the church taking the power of God and holiness and applying it wisely in a Pauline way. And one is understanding why the nature of what is the nature of God's holiness? It is not law. We know that. We looked at it last week. This is, a, this is a holiness that is driven by your love, your attention to the good creation that God has set in front of you. You have the power in the Holy Spirit. You have the power in the Son, Jesus Christ. You were justified in their name. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for all that you have done for us and your Son, giving us your Holy Spirit, we'd ask that we would understand more and more your good creation. That we would have St. Paul's standards as we teach them everywhere in every church. We'd ask that we would be in the power in our lives of your Son's holiness. That his forgiveness and his strength to do the good would be evident in us and we would not be the leaven of evil in generations to come. Thank you. In your son's name. Amen.